0: Hello everyone, it's Friday the 19th of March and welcome to episode 47 of the Kite Podcast with me Will Evans and me Ben Eagle.
1: Today we're talking about one of Chris's favourite subjects when it comes to his evening chat with his wife around the kitchen table. I'll let you fill in the blank there. No, it's the GDT or Global Dairy Trade to give it its full title. Formed in 2008, Global Dairy Trade is now a global multi-seller auction and data insight service provider, which connects pools of dairy buyers and sellers from around the world. And we know our listeners will be familiar with the GDT, not least because Chris refers to it during his market report, but we thought we'd look at it in more depth today to get a greater understanding of how it works in practice and what it means for dairy farmers, especially in the UK. To discuss this, we are joined by Eric Hansen, who is Director of Global Dairy Trade like dairy farmer Robert Martin, and as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Good morning, everyone. Chris, it's over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week?
2: Well, I'm also bringing you my report from Auckland, like Eric. It's by far the best capital in the world because it's the only one to rhyme with Walkland. (laughs) <laughs> and I've had a team there sailing my boat for the last few months, but as usual, we lost in the Kiwis won. We even lost the Italians, but at least the Welsh weren't there. So <laughs> we are. How lucky we are today to have the toppest top man in the world on the show, the head of the GDT, and my hero, who I owe a huge debt of gratitude to, because Without Eric's GDT, I'd have next to nothing to write about and be forced to string out this podcast with even more inane gibberish. But you're wrong about the kitchen table discussion, Ben. Every Tuesday, my wife and I have an early supper, retire to the bedroom, puff up the pillows, and then talk about the GDT. (laughs) And welcome, Robert, a very progressive dairy farmer from Cumbria and an Ireland member. He's on the show, Eric, to find out how relevant your auction is to his farm. Just to fill you in, Robert has just the two house cows called Ash and Graham, which he hand milks into a bucket. But despite this, he's always quick off the mark to text me if the GDT result is a good one and even faster if it's a bad one. (laughs) Robert, to ask you some questions, Eric, and in typical farmer style, his first was, why can't the auction always be up? Absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, on to my report. And let's turn first to that GDT. As most farmers will know, in early March, the auction was not so much GDT, but TNT, blowing up expectations with a whopping 15% increase. This week, though, we've seen a dip, not too much of one at 3.8%, which is just outside my neutral 3% zone. And just to explain that a bit more, um, the higher it is above 3%, the more Eric becomes the global dairying hero in the eyes of farmers. The more it is below minus 3%, the more he becomes, well, the opposite. We're fickle buggers farmers, aren't they, Eric? Uh, The drop was led by whole milk powder. I think that's because Fonterra put on additional volumes and it brought to an end a run of eight consecutive increases. But despite the drop, there was a huge positive for Arla because its skim powder settled up 165 euros and nearly 7% on the previous auction. In dollar terms, it topped 3,100 and it hasn't been there for ages. In the disunited Kingdom of Europe, butter on the official listings is just short of 4,100. Um, euros after another increase, and it's at its highest level since May 2019. But those prices are still behind the real market, and it looks as if that's topped out and showing some signs of dipping. Whole milk powder rose again to its highest price since July 2014, and skim's holding pretty well. Whey, however, well that's superb. That's a fiver off a thousand euros and almost at its highest price ever. Well, the futures have both dipped in Europe and New Zealand, but not significantly, and they're still holding over 4,250 for butter. But there's a massive range on the New Zealand futures as New Zealand new season product has been factored in later in the year. Uh, EU skim uh, is down a touch on last week. But the ampi futures <coughs> still around 31.5p for the next six months. Here in the UK, cream's broadly the same in the mid-150s, and there's no shortage of milk as we ramp up for the flush. One normally large buyer of spot milk wouldn't give me a price this week because he doesn't need any. And despite schools going back, Uh, From lockdown, there's been no lift in demand. So spots still about 26 and a half delivered. Cheese is also showing signs of having peaked in Europe and is dipping slightly. But that's not the case for cheddar here. So that's it from me. Keep up the good work, Eric. So I've plenty of stuff to write about and keep that index moving forward. If you do, this podcast team will get you a gong. If you don't, we'll shut you in the tower. Or even worse, get you deported to Australia.
0: (laughs) Incentive? I don't know what is. Goodbye. Uh, Thank you, Chris, Eric, and Robert. Welcome to the show. Eric, most listeners will know of the GDT, um, especially if they don't fast-forward Chris's section each week. But they might not know the detail. Why was the GDT formed? Who runs it, and how does it work?
3: Yeah, thanks. Uh, and hello, everybody. Uh, nice, nice to be talking to you. Uh, you know, we, Chris talked about the surprising price changes uh, earlier this month, and we really want to think about why GDT was formed. If we go back to the mid-2000s when we had really amazing price changes on steroids, even bigger than what we've seen in March, right? Um, but the problem was nobody knew they were occurring. Um, the data was coming through months later. And so we had both buyers and sellers trying to make contracts and then finding out that, you know, they were out of the money. Either the buyer was out of the money or the seller was out of the money. So we, you know, the experience in the 2000s was, if you might remember, um, if I take whole milk powder, it went from around $2,000 in a course of about three to four months up to $5,000. But nobody knew at the time that was happening. And so we really thought, you know that was a really bad situation with both buyers and sellers because you know nobody wants to strike a contract and then find that you know they were well out of the money. So that was a, a really big reason why GDT was formed. The other one was more local New Zealand context in terms of our parent company, GDT parent company Fonterra. Most listeners, I, I guess, will know as major exporter of dairy products. Really wanted a way to have a more objective milk price, and and they wanted to know have a good strong measure of what what the current commodity prices are to feed into that calculation. And then finally, we wanted to have better price risk management in the financial markets, the futures market, NZX, that you talked about. We were always hopeful that that, that sort of thing would take off. So that's that's why GDT was formed. It's run by uh, myself as director, small staff, um, but I must say the, the trading events themselves, the auctions, are run independently of GDT and Fonterra. So they're run by... A, an expert auction uh, company in Boston, USA, called CRA, Charles Rivers Associates. And when they run those auctions, there's absolutely no involvement from GDT, from Fonterra, from sellers or anybody that's run entirely separately. And, and I'll talk a bit later on probably about, you know, also we have an independent oversight board that oversees all of this and, and makes sure that it's independent. And then just sort of I think the third part was how does it work? And it is really quite a simple process. Uh, It starts with a quantity of product that each of the sellers puts up and a starting price that should be very attractive in the market. And it just goes through multiple rounds with the price increasing round by round until the amount of bids drops down to the amount of supply available. And that determines the price. So sort of winning seller, willing buyer type model there. So, um, you know, that's that's, uh, hopefully that, gets to the heart of what what you're interested in there will
0: yeah definitely so let's just talk a bit more about the practicalities of the auction who who are the typical sellers and buyers and 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 what products are sold in in what proportions
3: yeah sure um well we have uh, sellers from all the main uh milk pools as we call them oceania or new zealand with Fonterra. Uh, we have um, two european companies uh as Robert will know ala and AFI, uh, a related company to Arla, uh, selling products, and an American company uh, Dairy America, which uh, sells uh, skim milk powder. So um, we've got four regular sellers that consistently sell products successfully. We've got some other sellers that have been uh, two that have been less successful. So you know, um, so it's mainly the the uh, four main sellers. So we've got New Zealand represented. We've got Denmark. We've got um, ALA's German and UK product on, on GDT. So there's connection there to European farmers, uh, British farmers, and we have uh, Dairy America from the United States. The majority of product uh, uh, are the milk powders. Um, whole milk powder makes up just uh, slightly less than 60% of the total. Uh, skim milk powder, another 20%. And then the last 20% is a combination of butter and uh, anhydrous milk fat, AMF we call it. Um, A little bit of cheddar and some lactose, also from Europe, with AFI.
4: Uh, I would just want to know who determines what is sold in the auction and when?
3: Yeah, thanks, Robert. I mean, you know, the first point is really, you know, think of GDT like a stock market or a share market. We have a set of rules by which we operate by um, to be a neutral, unbiased, transparent platform. And those rules determine who does what and when. And so GDT is open to um, any dairy processor that, you know, exports significant quantities of product and and has good chances of success. So we're Mm -hmm. quite happy to bring on, you know, for anybody to come on who um, sells, exports, uh, you know, the core dairy commodity products. In terms of the options themselves, each seller, so in your case, ALA determines about seven days ahead what quantity of each product they want to put up. Right. and from what regions, and they also <clears throat> specify uh, the um, starting price. So every seller independently uh, sets their own quantities, their own starting prices, and uh, the bidders get to see those settings before the auction starts.
4: Right. So um, we've determined who the, uh, the sellers are and who are your buyers. Are uh, your buyers from all over the world that, that are bidding?
3: Yes, certainly uh, a, a very large and geographically diverse um, buyer set. So, uh, a significant number from uh, North Asia and China uh, in Southeast Asia is, is significant, and uh, Middle East and Africa. Um, those are the main three main regions, and then um, a small <coughs> number of Europe and the US as well. But it's, as most international trade in dairy goes from the sort of the Western nations to the Asian nations. The buyers mainly come from that sort of Asian, Africa, Middle East uh, type segment.
0: Chris, the UK produces very little whole milk powder, so if the GDT is dominated by WMP, then how and why does it influence UK milk prices? And and why is it important to keep an eye on the auction from a UK perspective?
2: I think it's a, a barometer of sentiment. Uh, I think it's as simple as that, and trader expectations. Uh, rise and fall and their optimism and pessimism rises and falls with the auction. And you can see that from a farmer point of view. Um, The auction went up 15% two weeks ago. Within 45 minutes, one processor had a farmer uh, on the phone asking when his milk price was going to go up. And they don't even make any of the products that go on, here, <laughs> on the DDT. So it's it's a bellwether. I think it's as simple as that.
1: Robert, let's bring you in here and get your perspective. The silver black question. First of all, what's your name? Where do you come from?
4: Right. Well, my name is uh, Robert Martin, and uh, I farm at uh, just outside Carlisle and Cumbria. I'm a third generation dairy farmer. My grandfather came here uh, in 1932. Uh, we uh, run a, a flying herd here. Uh, with terminal size of Blue and Angus, uh, with uh, Jersey Cross cows. We, uh, everything is sold local in the local auction mart. We have a grass-based system, uh, taking 85% of our milk from forage, and uh, we're on a solid contract with, with Arla. Uh, we also uh, have a pedigree Holstein business, which we work with other breeders. Uh, they look after them for me. Uh, we sell the animals the bulls uh, into ai uh, females and we also export embryos uh, around the world
1: and what's your interest in the gdt i mean do you think it's relevant to you as an ala farmer i know
4: well it, it is to a degree ala is very much a, a business of, of brands um Lepop, castello cravendale and there will be a, a percentage of the uh, milk will be sold into commodity uh, but it hasn't got the as much of an effect uh on my price as uh, uh some may think but a- any rise that eric can get for me i will gladly take um <laughs> it, it will increase my uh, my 13th payment and uh it, yeah it, it rises and falls but not to the detriment to my price as much i have neighbors who are supplying uh uh, commodity brokers and they've, they have a price built up of skim and uh, whole milk powder and brokering and they won't know really from one month then what their price is going to be and and that to me isn't the way that i want to run my business
0: mm. so so what's your feeling on how the gdt result affects milk price and farmer sentiment robert
4: well I think it's the same as anything if somebody a farmer thinks that the price is going to go up they'll be in the market and buy into extra cows they'll try and capitalise upon it and uh, I think it's a bit of a, a feel good factor uh, as Chris made the point earlier before uh, a farmer may ring his process and say Well my price going up without really realising how it affects his milk price, How how is it made up and if you are exposed as a commodity broker then it will rise and fall on the on the back of that but I think, like anything, if, if, if you think there's something going to shine next week, you get your cows out, uh, it does make you feel that little bit better. And, uh, and that, to me, is, is a good thing. I think that the sentiment that I feel as, as a farmer, is that the same that the New Zealand farmers feel as and when uh, your uh, GDP auction rises and falls?
3: Yes, I think very much so, uh, Robert. Um, you know, the farmers uh, get an email email, uh, you know, very quickly in the morning and and they all know what the price is immediately. Uh, Many of them, uh, you know, look at it directly without waiting for the formal communications. And, um, you know, they do know that uh, the product prices that come out of GDT feed into the price that their uh, processing company can pay for milk. So, um, you know, whole milk powder prices are a big driver in New Zealand and um, even even though the product on GDT is in fact a, a minority, it's it's less than 25% of Fonterra's total production. Uh, it's the price on GDT directly, and it's also that it serves as a reference price for other contracts that are going on in the market. And of course, even if it's not been sold directly on GDT, it's that reference price effect then feeds into all sorts of other contracts. So it does have a, a big impact and the farmers are keenly interested in it either you know as it's going up or as it's going down and uh, you know i'm sure they make their production decisions accordingly Um, it's great when the price is going up and and of course like any farmer they prefer it doesn't go down but uh, i guess that's the reality of markets goes up and down
4: (laughs) well i suppose uh, your farmers have had this for a long long time uh, maybe tailored their business too. Uh, the rise and the fall of the gdt but uh what impact do you think that has on the domestic market maybe land price or animal prices or did it have a, a huge impact
3: it, it, um, and i think the land prices particularly in animal prices are, are uh, based on long-term perspectives so um the you know any given price or even over the course of a season probably has limited impact um but the overall perspective of, of how things might evolve in, in the long run uh, that that will be having an impact but as we like to say in GDT though it's it's not really GDT setting the price it's really GDT discovering the price that is out there in the market so GDT is not setting the price it's it's discovering and, uh, and you know based on the demand that's revealed in the supply that's available and so if people take that perspective then what they need to think about as farmers and land prices is what, what's going to happen to demand and supply in the long run. Not, not really what's happening with GDT, but you know, where is milk supply going to go globally? Where is consumption of dairy going to go globally? Um, how are the plant-based alternatives going to impact the market and, and things like that? So that, I, I would think that that's, that's really how people uh, will think about land prices.
1: I mean we've discussed that the gDT is influencing both milk price and farmer sentiment um eric, how do you think it's um it is a credible marketplace and how does it maintain that credibility?
3: yeah, pretty simple at the end of the day you know quality participants, good process, independent oversight, so you know we have reputable well known sellers with a consistent supply of the same generic product offered time and time again, so the Buyers know what's going to be available and it, and it's all high quality, you know whether it's the New Zealand product or the or the Arla product or the American product. Um, we have a, a large and diverse geographically diverse pool of bidders, so we know there's you know good bidding competition there because of, you know in a, in a product like whole milk powder and skim milk powder there's over 150 buyers. Uh, they don't all turn up at the same auction, but there's very strong um, you know, competitive bidding. And then the auction process itself is designed to make sure that it uh, to, you know, discovers a, 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 a market price. It's it's very hard for people to play games on the way it's structured. It's quite a, a controlled process of round by round, and um, you know that that leads to um, good outcomes. And then finally, we have the oversight. We have an independent oversight board uh, represented with buyers, sellers, and financial market participants. And, and a strong set of rules that we abide by. So all of those factors, I think, you know, as a package, create uh, a pretty strong credibility. Mm.
0: So question for all of you, and it be really interesting to hear your different perspectives on this, but we've seen the GDT have significant jumps in both directions in the past. Do you think that the GDT adds to or smooths out dairy price volatility? Eric, let's go to you first.
3: Yeah, I think this, this is a curly one, right? Everyone <laughs> has a opinion on this. Um, <clears throat> it, I, mean, I, I think, you know, as a start on it, we, you know, the volatility of dairy prices is actually very similar magnitude to the volatility in other advanced commodities. Um, if you look at oil and sugar and soybean and things like that, so it's mm-hmm. it's no different to that. It's, a, you know, it is a commodity product um, at its core, um, but my my view is that really GDT reveals discovers the underlying demand and shifts in demand and supply, and it's really the underlying volatility that's inherent in the market that's coming through. And in, in dairy, you know, as many of your listeners will know, right? There's there's big production bases, big milk pools around the world, and only around eight to ten percent of that is traded internationally. Hmm. So if you get some small shifts in the US or in Europe. In terms of milk supply, you know that will spill over into the international market quite quickly, and you know that's one of the reasons why you get some price volatility. And then on top of that, you've got governments in various parts of the world, um, you know, having reasonably protectionist policies that make it difficult for international trade. So that exacerbates market volatility as well. So my, my view is that it's predominantly that GDT discovers and reflects the underlying volatility.
0: OK, thanks, Eric. Um, Robert, what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, well, I suppose Eric's covered that uh, extremely well there. and uh, But I refer back to what I said before. With my own contracts, there'll be a small percentage over there and we'll take uh, a slight rise or a slight fall. But it'll be, I don't know what percentage are that that I'll have put onto the world market. Um, but it, say back to one of the brands again, but back to my neighbor who's on a commodity contract, uh, he could see a rise of 10 or 15% on a monthly basis. It really depends what volume they're putting on and and how long they're selling it forward for. Mm. Uh, and I suppose his uh, seller will be putting it on a longer basis to try to get a bit more stability in his milk price. Um, the thought of being on a New Zealand contract and, and the volatility. Uh, I think would be uh, a slightly difficult position for my business with maybe uh, more uh, higher costs in it compared to uh, other farmers.
0: Hmm. Okay. And you, Chris, have you got anything to add?
2: Yeah, a couple of things really. Um, I mean, I talked to probably more traders in the industry than anybody else and, and I followed the GDT for, for years and years. And I can't remember a single trader saying that they think it affects uh, or it enhances volatility. And, the other element is I think if it did, it wouldn't have lasted 11 years. I think it's 11 years, isn't it, Eric? Um, so if it did enhance volatility, it just wouldn't have survived the test yeah. time. Hmm.
0: Okay.
4: I've known Chris long enough uh, to ask him uh, stupid questions on, on a weekly basis. Uh, <laughs> we've seen the rise of the uh, 15% and then a fall of uh, 38 uh, in the last uh, couple of auctions. Uh, uh, how should the... Uh, UK dairy farmer be feeling on the back of those uh, rising falls, Chris.
2: Well, I think dairy farmers should be feeling happy, but of course, that would be an extraordinary thing, wouldn't it, for dairy farmers <laughs> to, to actually admit that they're happy? I don't know whether that's the same in New Zealand, Eric, but it's <laughs> unheard of over
3: here. <laughs> so, someone, someone will come and take it off them. That's uh, that's the next concern, right? So. <laughs>
0: okay uh happy dairy farmers what a thought okay we'll leave it there um that's all we have time for but a big thank you to our guests today eric hanson robert martin and chris walkland
1: yes thank you very much for listening we hope that today has been illuminating um if there are any topic areas that you'd like us to cover on the show in future just message becky on twitter at kite consulting Um, we'll see you again next week for more dairy news and views but for now it's goodbye from all of us here